the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here. Lord, we ask that you would be our mouthpiece, Lord, and that you would give us words to speak. Father, that you would bless this time. We honor you. We love you. We bless you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We're in Psalm 71. I'm going to start right in there, reading from verse 1. And again, this is David. And this is an older David. This is in his older years. And you would think that they've stopped chasing him and the enemies are gone And as he's older. But no, they're still there. He's still trying to fight the good fight and asking the Lord again for help. So let's start in verse 1. Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding of your words, um, of your word and your words here. Um, in Jesus' name. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never uh, put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So see, they're still after him. He's asking the Lord to save him and do it now. Verse four, deliver me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the evil one and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. So he's remembering that God has been with him for a very long time. He's older now. He's been with him as a young boy alone with the sheep on the, on the, you know, I, I like to think of the sheep on this pasture, but a lot of, a lot of the ground in Israel, unfortunate is rocky ground. And so he has both. He, he's taken them, his sheep to rocky ground as well as uh, those green pastures. So <clears throat> I'm going to read five again. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth from birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you have been my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May the accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell you, tell of your righteousness of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. Wow, here he is talking about how long he's been walking with the Lord. And, you know, I was just going to mention this. As we look back, as we get older, we can really see the, the many times that God has rescued us and has helped us through trouble, Mm -hmm. through people attacking us. And I remember when I was in high school, this girl really hated me. And she came up one day and she wanted to fight me. And we didn't come from a family that I, I'll just say fought with our fists. But, um, you know, we argued a lot or something amongst the kids. 
but I don't remember really laying hands on my brothers or my sister. But when she came up to me and wanted to really fight with me, I thought, wait a minute. But this is how he's had to rely on the Lord his whole life. Saul chased him for approximately maybe 10 years. Who knows? A long time he was running from his enemies. And here he is, an older man, and still is. And he's looking back to where he came from, and he recognizes from the time of his youth, as far as he can remember, God was there to help him and soothe him and getting him out of trouble, rescuing him from his enemies. And I think the truth be known, when we look back, we can see those many times for us too. Okay, I'm going to read 17 again. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies. There's a song about that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me to see troubles, many and bitter. He's pointing out there were many, and a lot of them were very bitter. You will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with my harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre. O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have put have been put to shame and confusion. Gosh, that was such a beautiful psalm. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, let that sink deep within our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. I would like to introduce you to my guest. Thank you, Carly Saik, for joining us. You're welcome. Wow. Okay, so I'm trying to think. I met you in the early 2000s, and so I'm going to say maybe you were in college when I met you, or you were just getting out of college? Yeah, it was about a year out of or actually, no, it was maybe like, yeah, two years out of college. Okay. So I'm thinking I've known you. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, a lot of years and mm-hmm. so great. And, I, and so I, many conversations. Yeah. Just like this. <laughs> yeah. And I do remember um, years ago, you weren't married and you said, can I spend a couple of weeks at your house or whatever? And we just kind of hung out and we had just moved here. So that was, would be probably 2000, maybe around 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Carly Saig, um, should I say that you're married to George Saig? Sure. Yeah. I think people know that. It's so a unique welcome. last name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unique to maybe Americans, but um, okay. Talk a little too long about that. But anyhow, um, I would love for the guests that are listening to get to know you. And um, I really would like to know a little bit of your background. I don't know if I know that, you know, where you were born, how many kids in the family. I think I know that, uh, where you were raised and, and all of that. Sure. Um, I was born in 1983 in uh, Turlock, California, which is the Central Valley, where a lot of almond farms and dairies are. So pretty country, you know, type of background. We were in the city, but it wasn't far to get to an orchard. Um, when I was younger, my grandpa owned an almond farm. Um, I don't remember how many acres he had, but I just loved going out there with him, walking to the windmill, you know, every time I would visit. And um, I have two sisters. One is a half sister. We have the same dad, but not the same mom. And then I have another sister um, that we you know, have the same mom and dad. We grew up together and yeah. I so you want more details? Pretty but. close family then. But let me ask you this. Um, did they take you to church? What kind of um, spiritual upbringing did you have? I had um, no spiritual upbringing. There was really no emphasis when I was younger, but um, when I became like a tween, you know, older elementary, almost, you know, junior high, uh, I started having some 
you know, emotional problems and different difficulties, um, like cutting and different things like that because of some of the dynamics in our family. And my mom started taking me to psychics. So that was the first time she really um, tried to get me involved with anything spiritual, except she did teach me the Lord's Prayer. She grew up Catholic and left it. Um, so that's, so, yeah. So her it. answer to some sort of an emotional problem you might be having or whatever was taking to, you to a psychic. And mm-hmm. how long did that go on? I don't remember. Maybe a year, year and a half. Um, and how often did you go? You know, every so often. Um, like they maybe were her, once a month or something? Yeah, they were her friends. Um, so we'd, they'd get together. And also, I would like read books. Um, can't remember the name of the book now, but it basically is you know, new age. Like, you're God, we're God, we're all God. We're a part of God. You create your own destiny, that type of thinking. But it didn't really get me out of my depression or what I was dealing with because I thought, if I'm God and I'm creating my own destiny, why is my life, why is it so terrible? Mm-hmm. So it didn't really, you know, give me what I needed. Okay. So did you said you had two other sisters. Mm-hmm. Now, were there, were there issues with your sisters that they were taken to a psychic as well? Or, or, or if your your parents had problems, is that where they would go for answers? Um, I think my mom, now my mom has kind of come back to her roots and, um, you know, believing that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But at that time, my father had left her and I think she was just kind of in a dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad just, there was nothing from him, you know, as far as that. But my other sisters, no, they didn't get involved in that. Okay. Um, so what about Christmas? I know that um, a lot of people, even though they aren't churchgoers, so to speak, they're, they seem to celebrate Christmas, but more as a, um, a, a just a time to give gifts out and not necessarily the spiritual aspect of Christmas. So what was your upbringing like in terms of Christmas? Yeah, we would do Christmas, but it was, you know, big Santa Claus presents, that's it. Nothing spiritual. So more, more commercialism. I, yeah, I think I knew it was Jesus's birthday, and but that was about all. Okay. And what about Easter? Anything for Easter? The Easter bunny, eggs, the hunt, ham. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. I, I actually didn't even know that he rose from the dead. I had no idea till I became a Christian. <laughs> okay. I remember Mark and I were teaching um, uh, religious release time, and one of the kids said, Jesus, he said, you know, um, the only time I hear about Jesus is when my parents are swearing. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was horrified. And I thought, wow, that's the only time they've ever called on Jesus. Is from there. Yeah, I would say I was like very unchurched, like no biblical knowledge, nothing. And um, I think it was kind of rare maybe for my time, but it's definitely the norm nowadays, which is very sad. You're yeah. going to find a lot of kids like me nowadays. Yeah, unfortunately, that type of upbringing is more of the norm. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what had led up to um, you. So you graduate from high school and then you decide you're going to go to college. What led up to um, the things that happened to you prior to you accepting the Lord? Um, well, I got saved when I was actually still in high school. I was 16 and a half. Um I don't know. I think the Lord was drawing me because it doesn't really make sense what, you know, why I turned because I went to church once with my friend when I had a sleepover when I was seven and it was a very large church with the stained glass windows. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is very strange and it's so big. And I remember feeling kind of empty, you know. Um, Oh, so you went to church with her on the sleepover? Just one time. yeah. Yeah. And then I went to church with my half sister. She had some Christian friends, we went to the church, um, and I was kind of, you know, unsure about that. Uh, but then like a couple years later, so that was when I was in junior high. And then a couple years later, um, our dad was coming to visit our town, Turlock, and I was calling my sister, like, hey, you want to get together? And she had become a Christian um, a few years before. She actually, you know, had given me a Bible, but I kind of just stuck it in a drawer. And, you know, that was now, it. this is your older sister? The oldest, yeah. I'm the, the youngest. Um, so we didn't, we didn't live together. So we saw each other kind of sporadically. She's eight years older. She already had kids, was married and, you know, we're kind of in a different place. I was still a kid in high school. 
Um, but I called her to go, you know, try to set up a time to see her and our dad. And she said, oh, I can't, you know, right now, but maybe this day because I'm going to a revival meeting. She's meeting in a small country church in Hillmar, and they were having church every day for a month. They had an evangelist. And I said, I want to go, which I don't know why, because lots of people invited me other times and I refused. But I just said, I'll go with you. So tell us about that day. You go. Yeah. Well, it was a couple of different days, but I go. Um, it was a charismatic church. And so they were really praising the Lord um, very vigorously. <laughs> and um, I was just really drawn. I just remember when I came to him, it was like maybe th- I went for two or three nights and the pastor or the evangelist was preaching about like, you can't give out God if you give this. And I don't, I didn't take it as like a mon- monetary thing, but like giving your life or giving your time. You can't outgive him. He'll give more back to you. And um, like I said, I was going to psychics and things. So I did think there was some power. Like, I don't think I was an atheist. I was looking for something somewhere. And so when he talked about God in a personal way as a real person, and it was actually also taught, he was talking about the judgment. Um, I realized there is a God, there's a right, there's a wrong. So then my life matters, you know, because when the new age teachings or basically telling me you're making your own your own destiny, you're making your own life. Mm-hmm. But I was depressed and meaningless because it's like, well, I come from a bad home. I don't have any money. Like, you know, it was just, but no, it matters if I'm a doctor. It matters if I'm helping people, hurting people. And before his sermon was even done, I just went forward and laid down um, on the altar. So just giving my is, life to you had Lord. already been a couple of times mm-hmm. to this revival and you'd seen probably other people giving their hearts to the Lord or, or deciding to follow Jesus and going up towards the altar. Yeah, they were doing altar calls every and night. And so you you see this and you, on the third night or the fourth night, mm-hmm. whatever it was, you decide, okay, this is it. Mm-hmm. And so you go forward. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't necessarily happen to everybody, but do you feel different when you're up there? When I went to the altar that yeah, night? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, definitely. I felt peace, the peace of God. I didn't know it then, but I felt peace. I felt the peace of God come upon me and um, I felt a spiritual, you know, touch from him. Okay. So. Yeah. Not everyone feels that, of course, when they come to Christ. Right. Nobody. Well, I haven't met anybody that had, you know, bells and whistles go off and thunder and lightning or whatever. But, you know, I'm sure there there might be. Yeah. But, you know, didn't happen for me that way either. But tell me what happens maybe the next hour, the next day, the next week. Tell me what changes in your life. Yeah. Immediately I told the pastor, I said, let's fill up the baptism. I want to get baptized, which, you know, I don't even know how I really knew much about that. And he's like, oh, but the water will be cold. It's like, I don't care. Just throw me in there. You know, (laughs) I was just ready to go, you know? Um, And so pretty soon after that, I um, did get baptized and, oh, but not that evening. No, he didn't make me wait till the water could get warmed. <laughs> so maybe like a week or two, something like that. Uh-huh. I invited my whole family and some friends, um, several family members came and they were kind of mocking it. And um, like, what is this thing that she's doing? You know, and I'm sitting right there in the pews and I almost didn't, didn't go forward because I thought to myself, geez, what am I doing? Like, maybe this is bizarre, weird thing, you know, that I'm doing here. And um, I just felt like if I didn't do it, then I'd kind of be like reversing where I was going. And so I went for and I asked the pastor, you know, can you pray for me? I'm really struggling. Like I feel like this spiritual pool against me. And he prayed for me. And again, the peace of God, you know, fell upon me and um, I went and got baptized. So your your parents are there and your siblings? Um, just my mom, an aunt, a cousin, and actually now my brother-in-law, my sister's boyfriend at the time, um, who had been raised Christian but wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. So now you did tell me that one of your sisters already was saved. Yes, the oldest. And so the she, middle sister was there. Well, and the oldest was there too. So, yeah. so she's there yeah. with her husband probably. So um, they're probably elated, but some people up there mm-hmm. are like, what a weirdo here. What's she doing? Because they haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you get baptized and is there a celebration after? Do you guys talk about it? Do you go home? What happens? Um, well, yeah, I know I went and hung out with my friend that I had invited and, um, you know, my, they were kind of 
a bad influence. We used to party together and stuff like that. And I um, was like, why didn't you come? You know, and um, after that, I just felt like the Lord was like, no, you're my child. Like, you can't hang out with these people because they were, you know, partying and smoking that night. That's why they didn't come to the baptism. Um, so from that day, I called my sister, the oldest, she came and picked me up and I just walked away from that, that kind life. of, that kind of life. Yeah. I got pulled in one more time. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyway. So you're basically the only one in the household that has given their heart to the Lord. Yeah. My and- parents were divorced. So I was with my mom and my middle sister and yeah, I'm the only Christian at that time. So how do you find a church? What do you decide to do? Well, I went to that. Hillmar Church uh, for maybe two months or something. Um, But there were some teaching issues, like some of the people were not Trinitarian, they were modalists. And so I, um, because I was reading the Bible like every day, some of the changes, like I did not go out and party anymore. I read the Bible on Friday nights. I stopped watching, you know, R-rated scary movies. And I just read the Bible. I built a prayer altar in my closet, you know, like I was just devoted to the things of God. And, um, so as I was reading the scriptures, I started realizing that church doesn't have, they're not actually doing some of the things the Lord wants in the word of God. So I stopped going to that church. And um, one night I was walking um, from my house and there was a church down the street and I started going there. It was in, like a non-denominational church and yeah, just it was within walking distance. So you go to you find a church and mm-hmm. you make a home there. Now you graduate from college and you decide to do what? I mean, graduate from high school and you, because you went to a Christian college, didn't you? I did. Yeah. And how do you make that decision? How do you feel led that that's where God wants you? Um, so through a series of events, when I was in high school, I was living with my mom and then she um, started, moved in with a guy that she ended up marrying. And so I was on my own um, the last half of my year and this Christian family Um, One of my friends that I knew came to bring me something and she realized I was living alone. And so their family asked me if I could come and live with them. Um, And she, the friend that I had was a a freshman at Biola University. So I was interested, you know, in going there and um, various people from the church and stuff helped me fill out my application and just get there. I really wanted to be a missionary overseas because as soon as I got saved, I was just, you know, trying to share the gospel with my Mormon friends at school or just anyone who would listen to me, I'd walk around during lunchtime, you know, giving up tracks or trying to strike up conversations to share the Lord with them. When I would walk home, I would knock on every door to share so, the gospel or leave a tract. So then when I went to college, I wanted to do something where I could be a missionary and I thought I'd go overseas. Well, So I picked Biola so I could be a teacher, teach English, you know, have the actual um, skill to go overseas with. Okay. And I wanted the Bible because you get a minor in the Bible there. Right. Right. Okay. So you're you're going to school, but you haven't felt like this is what I'm going to do. This is a calling that I have, and I'm going in that direction. You're just you're you're thinking I'm going to prepare myself because this is what I want to do. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, I felt like everyone was called to share the gospel, mm-hmm. and um, I always wanted to be a teacher. When I was a little kid, I would take hangers and put clothes on, and I would hang up like eight outfits, and I would teach my clothes. <laughs> You know, so I always wanted to be a teacher and I thought, well, I can use that for the Lord. I can go overseas, teach English and preach to people. Okay. So you get to college and what do you find there? Do you feel like the Lord is still calling you to go overseas and and you're studying the word and in a in a very controlled environment? Yeah, I was a little disappointed. People weren't quite as fervent as I was <laughs> for the Lord at that young age. And I was Um, you know, so that was a little bit hard to navigate that. Like you guys grew up in this, you know, the Lord, like, how can you be wasting all your time, you know, with anyway, um, I had to mature a little bit with that, but I got a really great basis of the Bible, understanding the context, the historical, you know, background of it. Um, and I was still like leading the evangelism team with a friend of mine there. Okay. So, um, I, I want to circle back around, um, there was a couple of things that I was thinking about asking you. Sure. So you're at home living alone. I'm going to take you back a little bit. You're oh, at yeah. home living alone. In high Your school. mother moves out. Is that what happens? Mm-hmm. But she leaves you in the house. Yeah, an apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, in an apartment. So she's paying the rent to this apartment. Mm-hmm. You're staying there. And what about your sister? She, the middle sister, had gotten married. Okay, so you you're the youngest, and so mm-hmm. that's the last. And so you're you're 
you're cooking, you're doing your own homework, nobody's having my to bike to school. No, and maybe buying groceries. I don't know. Yeah. Your mother gives you money for groceries. You're doing all that. By yeah, yourself. I wasn't sure that she was going to keep up, you know, with that for me. So I was, you know, anxious, but I, I really had this very strong faith in the Lord and maybe naive. I don't know, but I remember I was driving my, riding my bike to, to um, fill out an application at the local like electricity company and for something like filing or whatever. And I met this woman, she's like by a fountain crying and I try to talk to her and she has this like abusive boyfriend and I'm trying to like, you know, encourage her, like just leave him. And I invite her to come live with me. <laughs> you know, how dangerous, right? Um, like I would never advise my kids do that now, but I just was like, yeah, I'll help you come. I have this open room. My mom's not there anymore, you know? And um, she came to the house with me and then I went to school and she just left a note and said, thanks so much for your kindness, you know, but she, and then she just left. She didn't stay. Wow. The Lord was protecting me. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So how long are you by yourself? I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. Before the friend. Um, so yeah, like maybe around November, December, she would just stay at his house and I would call her and, you know, she just wouldn't come home or she'd come home some nights, but not all nights. And then in January, I remember very specifically over the phone, I'm like, mom, when are you going to come home? Like, when are you going to stop? And she just said, I'm not. Okay. So she, all her stuff was still in there. Okay. But she's still paying the bills. The light's yes. still on, the yeah. water's still on. And so and maybe it was around Easter. I think that's when my friend came over. I think she was bringing some leftovers from their Easter or something like that. And, um, and so how do you find food? I I don't remember. I probably just went to the grocery store. I don't know. I found this old budget from college. I looked at my food bill. It was like $60 a month. Wow. I just was whatever, you know. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, enough about that. I My brain gets stuck on certain things and I can't let it go. Okay. Good. So you are in college. You graduate from high, uh, college and you are now focusing on where does the Lord want me to go? And and so do you have a job at that time? I worked all through college, yeah, because I paid for it on my own. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And then you're... you're <laughs> I, I mean, I had loans and financial aid also, but very minimal amount of loans. But Okay. So you're working, you're paying your way through school, and then you need a job. And where do you go for that? Um, well, before my job out of school, school, I wanted to say, I had this friend um, that we did evangelism team together. And she's like, you should be a missionary to Muslims. There's only one missionary for every 500,000 Muslims. And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, I just want to preach to whomever, you know, God has. I felt like she was kind of like trying to push me and maybe God wasn't calling me. But because of her encouraging me, I took one class apologetics to Islam at Biola. Mm -hmm. And after studying and doing evangelism among Muslims in the LA area, I did feel specifically called to Muslims. Okay. Yes. So this is about the time I meet you because... Yeah, a couple years after, yeah. Okay. So tell me what you're doing and what kind of ministries that you're involved with um, during college and after college. Yeah. So during college, like I had this calling, I felt this pool, but I also um, struggled a little bit with like finance, you know, wanting to have financial security because of kind of some of the stuff I grew up with. Um so right after college, I just took a corporate job uh, recruiting, actually, because I sort of, um, yeah, just maybe wasn't ready to step out in faith yet to, you know, be a missionary overseas. But after that year, I was praying, like, God, do you want me just to keep going up and sharing the gospel? I mean, I had lots of sharing the gospel with my coworkers that came from all different kinds of backgrounds at that time. Um and the Lord, I felt the Lord was speaking to me, no, I have the kingdom for you. Well, then like six weeks later, I got laid off. Um, wow. So I went on a mission trip, short term one, to um, England and Belgium to share the gospel with Muslims. Um, and then I was like, I know this is what the Lord has for me. Um, the cross-cultural stuff was pretty hard, like living overseas there. I still had a lot of emotional things um, that I had to work through from how I grew up and, you know, essentially being abandoned by both my parents so I felt like maybe I had to work on some of those things, but I didn't quite know what to do. So then I became an insurance agent after I um, came back from that trip because I got laid off from the other job. And I was just, you know, meeting different Muslims in different places. Um, I had learned a little Arabic in college by living with a Palestinian Christian family. Um, and then it was Christmas of 2006. I met um, George Saig at a Christmas party for I Squared Ministries. I Square. 
Yeah, Joshua Lingel and Ramesh. Yeah, remember them? Such a yeah. long ago. Voice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I when you said that, I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. And yes. He, and, um, and yeah, and we talked, and I was intrigued by his Arabic classes because I had learned Arabic because um, I took a missions class at Biola where you learn Arabic through immersion, being with people. But he was teaching an alphabet class, so that's where I got interested. And I got involved in his ministry. Yes. Okay. So how long are you involved with his ministry? And what do you do with it, his ministry? Because well, he has just, a different technique of doing things. Yeah, there's a lot of different things he does. So I just signed up for the Arabic class and did the alphabet class. And then I also started going to the mosque. Um, I went a couple times where we would give out Jesus films and just dialogue with Muslims as they came out of the mosque and you know share the gospel with them. And I did that for a couple months. And then he um, called me and was like, hey, this person, this donor wants to um, hire someone for me to help me with like planning events, administrative things. Are you interested? And I was like, I do want to do this. I want to serve the Lord. I want to do ministry because I was kind of dying inside at the insurance thing because that was just, I don't know what else to do and felt very meaningless. And so I just started working with George full time, doing the mosque outreaches, planning mission trips, um, going on the mission trips, working with refugees. Right. So many okay. things. Yeah. And then that's sometime around then I met you because you guys were very involved in his ministry at that time. Right. Right. Um, it's kind of interesting because I see it a little bit different um, because I was on the other side. I was Maybe. working full time and um, really busy with my job and and helping George do all the things that he needed to do. And then when you came along, I thought, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> It was something I could take off my plate. Yep. So anyhow, great. And so I was really um, encouraged by that. But so you're with George's ministry for how long? And then, you know, I know you guys got married. Um, so was it was at least a year, maybe a year and a half or two years. Um, how long before we got married? Yeah. So 2007, it was like February or March. And then we got married in May 2008. So a year. In a couple yeah. months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I'd like to take it back to um, what it's like, because I'm going to fast forward. Uh, you've married George Saeed. He already has this ministry to Muslims and it's growing. And he's speaking at different churches. They're, they're going to outreaches at different mosques, as well as doing outreaches on special Arabic holidays. Mm -hmm as well as going to different Arabic fairs. And mm -hmm. throughout the United States, it was different times. So going to um, first, just going to um, things locally. And then we branched out to go to Michigan and other places, um, Washington um, state and different things. So tell us a little bit about how that growth happened um, while you were there. Yeah, George has always had a big vision and a big heart, you know, to reach every Muslim in America with mm -hmm. the gospel, you know, and I don't know, some people say there's 7 million, some people say there's 9 million. So that's a large task. Mm -hmm. And he believes it and he's going to do it and he's well on his way to getting there. Um, so I just, I was like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have kids. I was young. I was like 23. So we would just work 12 hours a day you know, seven days a week planning these trips. So I think that first year we took seven different trips to different states and mm -hmm. Arabic festivals. And on like 4th of July or New Ruz outreach, which is the Iranian New Year's outreach, we would have like, I don't know, 10 different mosques across the state that were giving out, you know, materials. And um, yeah, and he also had his friend Jeff Mayo who was working there. So we all just worked nonstop to get people involved and he was working a lot with Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, and there was a lot of young people who got on board and were involved in the outreaches, had a lot of energy. Well, and you guys were there, too. Right. I remember. Uh, <laughs> um, but give me a story about reaching out to a Muslim, and maybe you were able to connect with them in some way. Maybe they didn't accept the Lord, but maybe they did. But give a, give us a an example of somebody that you touched in in a way that you knew that they're walking away with more than just material here yeah can i take a drink real quick? yeah sure okay. and the other thing i wanted you to talk about is um because i remember we were doing 
all kinds of things, you know, going to the parks, going to um, different states. And um, Mark, I was thinking about poor you when we went to Washington, you got hung up somewhere. I don't know, the Alaskan Airlines took you somewhere else. Oh, yeah. And so he was we MIA all had trouble for the with whole the flights. I know. Right. And then our hotels weren't ready or whatever. But um, give us an example of somebody that you knew that you knew that you knew that heard what you were saying, took it in and maybe accepted the Lord, maybe not, but walked away a different person. Can you give me an example or um, two? <clears throat> yeah, there's one example that is very um, striking to me that I share a lot because it just shows kind of, I know a lot of people think it's not true, but it is Muslim evangelism among Muslims. I feel like is the easiest evangelism in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're just such open people willing to talk, you know, um, for hours with you. Hospitable too. They mm-hmm. want to invite you to their house. Go ahead. So I was um, applying for my insurance license. I was taking the test. I was parked and eating my lunch in my car. And I look over, we're in Anaheim. I see these women with hijab, you know, the coverings going to a laundromat. And I had, you know, a couple words of Arabic. So I went in there and I was like, I in Arabic, hi, you know, marhaba, ana ismi Carly, you know, and then can you teach me Arabic? And they were just, their faces lit up. They were so like blessed that I was speaking to them. And um, after talking with them, I found out that they're from Kuwait. They had really good English. Um, They're from Kuwait. They were only there on vacation for two weeks. They were going to Disneyland and everything. And those women, there was like three of them and one one young girl. Um, They spent like four full days with me out of their two weeks vacation. Really? Mm -hmm. Just because I spoke a couple words in Arabic. I invited them. I didn't have um, a big house, so I invited them to my friend. Do you remember Dorothy? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, we went to her house. We did a nice dinner for them and we got to share the gospel with them. We even, you know, got out Arabic Bibles in Arabic and we would read verses in English and then like point, like, look at this verse. And and they took them home with them. Um, So definitely they were fully received the gospel, you know, heard the gospel. Of course, they didn't repent at that moment. It does take a lot of time for a Muslim to come to Christ. But I don't know if a missionary could have done that in Kuwait. Right. After 25 years. And, you know. And then that same, that woman, she was a journalist actually in Kuwait. Oh, wow. And she kept in touch with me and wanted me to come. And when she found out she got married, she was angry with me because I didn't invite her. And I was like, I wouldn't, I didn't think you'd want to come. I didn't know that. You know, it was like, like, yeah. Are you still connected? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Wow. That's a beautiful story. I don't think I heard that one. Do you have another one for us? Um, I can just think of like when I was taking apologetics to Islam, one of the requirements from the professor was to go out and evangelize like once a week. So a team of us, like like four of us would go to near UCLA. There was some different shops and stuff. And we kept going back to this one Arabic restaurant and there was a guy there. And um, every week, you know, we'd go and we'd have like a three, four hour conversation. This was like six weeks, you know, and he invited us to his apartment and his friend was there and you could just have long discussions. Um, Just, yeah, that they don't, they don't um, compartmentalize like most, uh, you know, Western people do where like, this is my church time. This is my work time. This is my school time. You know, like, don't get into my space. You know, like they're just, it's all together and they don't mind people being in their space. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I know that you went to um, Dearborn many, many times, passing out tons of Jesus films and other um tracks and things can you can you give us just expose the audience to what a massive thing that is because there's so many muslims in one group of you know one little tiny area um i i think it's maybe a my a less than a mile block of people that come to this arabic fair um give us a little bit i i think i went we've we've only gone four times but Give, give us a little bit of what that experience is like, because I know that everybody gets there early. They train the people that show up on what to do. And, and, and it's more than just the Arabic fair that you're passing out things because you have things for the kids and stuff like that. So explain a little bit about that to us and, um, and the listeners as to what happens on a typical Arabic fair um, that you, you do. And I, I know that you guys just did one down in San Diego recently, like a couple of weeks, weekends ago. Yeah. And so it's a whole weekend of stuff. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, George, 
this was before I knew him. I think it was 2002 maybe or 2004 because it was before. I, anyway, but he went and I think it was just him and Walter, a good friend of his. And I think Mike went along too. Oh, yeah. Maybe Mike Sanders was there too. Yeah. Just a couple guys. Yeah. And they just had like maybe four boxes of Jesus films mm -hmm. and they handed them out within seconds. And George was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing. We need to come back. And then so every year it just got more. We got more and more volunteers. So that year that I went in 2007, I think we had like 40 or 50 volunteers that came to. Yeah, possibly that. Yeah, to share the gospel. And we're much more organized. I mean, it might not have seemed that way, but seemed that way, but it, it started to kind of gel. Yeah, um, we rented a U-Haul. Um, one of the smaller ones, not like the four bedroom, you know, trucks, but one of the smaller ones. But it was filled from top to bottom with Jesus films and tracks. And we just come and park it at the end of the festival. And so, like, if you imagine the festival, it's um, like any other, you know, um, carnival or something that you might see in a small town that they have every year, you know, carnival rides, food, things like that. But it's 90 percent Arab Muslims, you know, in and hijab. They block, up, they block off several yeah, several they're just walking in the streets of, of streets. Yeah, I want to um, say like a hundred thousand people. Oh, yeah, at least. But yeah. I don't remember the exact amount, so I'm kind of nervous to say. But I, I think something like that. Um. Anyway, all the drugs were, all the DVDs were gone mm -hmm. after the three day festival. We gave them all out. That whole entire U-Haul truck. And I think you know several people prayed to receive the Lord. Um, mm -hmm. with different people and just so many conversations. Right. But yeah, months and months of planning before that, you know, to help people get their flights and arrangements and where we're going to stay. And so one of the things that I, I know about it just from going is so there's a big time of training and we train all the volunteers um, to, you know, what to do, who to speak to, what to say as they're handing out the tracks um, so that they're comfortable. And no, most of the people that go or volunteer to go um, have have some experience in sharing Christ with others. May not with may not necessarily be with Muslims, but a desire to share Christ with others. And so they're getting that training of how to minister to Muslims yeah, specifically. And, specifically, and then we break off into groups. And there's a team leader for every van that goes out. And we go um, knock door to door. Um, and we, we start out in like Saturday morning and we cover the city where, where the Muslim people live. Mm -hmm. And they've had a little bit of training and we encourage them to go two by two. And they two by two, they just knock on doors. And amazingly, many of the Muslims that come to the door want to invite us in. Mm -hmm. Give you tea. Give you tea or, you know, little crackers or whatever, um, but are so hospitable. And it was shocking to us at the beginning until we got used to it. Mm -hmm. It was like, should we go in? Should we not go in? They're inviting us in. And um, so that was really pretty cool. And then the other thing I remember is um, seeing some of the people at the at the at the event itself because they knew that we we're going to be there mm -hmm. as well. Um, but several of us have had experience of going in, sitting with more than just one person. You know, the person that came to the door would invite us in and then their kids, grandma, grandpa. Exactly. Multi-generational people mm -hmm. would be in the home and where we got to share Christ. And then we got to meet other people that live there, Christians, that their sole reason for living is to hand out tracts and minister to the Muslims every Friday and and do things. So we were able to connect with churches and and different um, different people that mm -hmm. were doing this work too there because we we felt like we we're the only ones, right? Yeah, there's several leader like local people, and I think a lot of ministries over there grew, you know, over time um, in that area. There's several really strong ministries. Yeah, they're still doing stuff. One of those we they had a, a little church in one of the um, areas where it's, you know, 90% Arab Muslims all around the streets. And they have this tiny little church. It was kind of an older church. There was mostly just, you know, elderly people there, but the pastor and his wife had a heart for the community. And so they just had the Muslim neighborhood people coming in and out doing ESL classes, um, you know, baking classes, sewing classes, and then just 
oh my gosh, my pipe broke. The pastor would go over and like fix the pipe. Right. And we partnered with those people because the festival ended um, after a time. They stopped having it. And uh, we partnered with that little church to do a VBS. I told George, I was like, I want to be involved in ministry because I had kids. I have, you know, three kids and I... Um, and I'm homeschooling and stuff. I was like, I want to be more involved with the ministry. And I um, said, let's do a VBS. And he's like, VBS, Muslim kids. Are gonna, what are you talking about? It's like, no, I think we can, let's just try, you know, let's just try. We'll send out flyers and Hey, we're having a VBS, you know, the, like the good old days. And, and um, yeah, that first day, uh, George didn't really even give me enough volunteers. <laughs> I think I only had like five or six people and I needed like 25 because we ended up having like 60 kids come in. And then, um, the last day we did a barbecue and all the families came. And then, you know, we had like over a hundred people, the moms and dads having barbecue and sharing the gospel with them. So this is in lieu of the Arabic fair because yes, they have ultimately years later. stopped doing the Arabic fair, um, there in um, Michigan, but, um, you guys are doing VBS. Now, are you still doing the VBS every summer? Um, no, we passed it on to a couple of different ministries that were local over there. Cause we were mostly bringing our teams and stuff from California and different States. Um, right. So we tried to pass it on to people who were local there. We well, did it three years though. But I do know that you're doing a VBS in, in like when you were down in San Diego ministering to Muslims for the weekend. Yeah. Didn't you do a lot, VBS there too? Yeah. A lot more casual. It's sort of like, who's in the park? Hey, we're doing a VBS. So then they just come over, you know? So right. yeah, a couple of weeks ago we were in San Diego and um, I don't know how many kids we had, maybe 40 kids or something. We're just hanging out in the park with their dads or moms. And we brought them over. We had several different stations where they would do different gospel things. We had some games with like a parachute and like cornhole and we gave them some candy and stuff. And, and we also shared with their moms yeah, I know you guys made some really cute little gift bags and stuff to give out to the to the moms, I think. Yeah, and this particular park and area, most of the families are refugee families. They came from, that day they were from Afghanistan. Now this is in San Diego. Mm-hmm, in San Diego. And they weren't just from Afghanistan. They were a, like a subgroup within Afghanistan that was, was heavily persecuted by the Taliban. Um, and so it was just a blessing. We also had a lady with us who was a former Muslim uh, from Afghanistan, who was able to translate to the moms. The kids are pretty good with the English. Sometimes the moms need a little more. So I, I just have to say this before I let you go. And that is when George lived with me, Mark and I got very little sleep and we were both working full-time jobs. And I look back and I think, how did we ever do all that? But I'm thinking you probably are living that life right now, getting very little sleep because George operates on a different um He's got a Momentum. big vision. Yes. So, I always say George can't keep up with George. Yeah. 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 Exactly. He burns himself out, you know, and then, but then he gets back up again. I know. It's oddly like, enough and keeps going. I know. So my oldest sister, she is like a really, really hard worker. She outworks everyone. She goes, the only person I can't outwork is George. Yeah. <laughs> so you're living that dream right now getting very little sleep and raising the children and yeah. going to all these different I'm events. I'm focusing more since I had our, my third baby. Um, I've been more focusing cause I, we homeschool and the kids are in third and fifth grade. So I try to focus on that. My ministry is mostly at home with them. And then I come to events when I can. So, um, I get more sleep than George. Oh, good. And I think he's slowed a little bit. Um, his heart is he wants to build a training training center so he can train more people to pass on the work, you know, for the next Duplicate generation. Himself, yeah. mm-hmm. He wants to, that's his focus now. So Right. Time is short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Carly, I am just amazed at all of the things that you guys do. And I'm so blessed that God has called you guys to do that. And thank you so much for coming. And, um, I would like for you to point our listeners to your website and some numbers if somebody's interesting interested in ministering to Muslims or Muslims that have been listening want to connect and get material um, where can they go Yeah you can go to ministry m i n s t r y t o to muslims m u s l i m s dot com um, that's the website for the ministry. And then if you want to call, you can call 714-533-6659. Talk to someone or pray with someone or request materials. We have Bibles in almost every language. And if we don't have them, we can get them, even if it's a very small. If you would like to 
accept Jesus as your savior right now, because some of this resonates with you. And you know, like Carly said, I knew that I wasn't a God. I'm having a miserable life here. And if that's you, and you would like to invite Jesus into your heart and say to Jesus, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. That life there, I'm going to leave that behind. And forgive me, Lord. I'm going to say this little prayer. It's um, mean it with your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me for my sins of the past, present, and future. Lord, I want to grab onto your hand and walk with you for the rest of my life. Help me with that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've said that prayer and meant it with your heart, you can go to my website, On the Road with Jesus, and that's On the Road, R H O D E, with Jesus.com. Or you can email me at rahfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com and leave us a message. If you go to my website and scroll down, there's an area that you can sign in and and let us know that you've either accepted the Lord or you need a Bible, whatever you need. We'd love to help you. And thank you, Carly Saig, for that beautiful testimony and all the things that you shared. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today. God bless you all. And we'll we'll see you again next time with On the Road with Jesus. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.